Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast. The podcast that is here to tell you about the birds and the bees and Bigfoot. Because that's where masturbators come from. Today's story is Maternity Leave by Matt Cummins. Good day, Monsterbaiters. Matt here. Thank you for the reviews. This week, we found out that we have listeners from the old Apostolic Lutheran Church. Who would have known? That was not a target audience we ever would have expected, but we're grateful. When we started this podcast, I actually had an Apostolic Lutheran boss who I was kind of hiding it from. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he listens now. So, we are glad you enjoyed the last episode of Ea the Astronaut. Did I say that right? Ea the Astronaut, Matt. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I was reading it the other way the whole time. Uh, all right, so Ea the Astronaut, and uh, thank you, Kara Pantera, for the kind review. It was very nicely written. And we also want to thank Hope Fiend on Instagram for sharing the cool pastress art that she did. We hope you all saw it on our social media, and go support Hope Fiend's art. What are we forgetting, Brett? To say our Hail Marys and absolve us of the creation of this podcast. And t-shirts. Ah, go ahead. If you would like to support this podcast, check out our Teespring store at teespring.com slash stores slash monsterporn. We're about to unveil some new designs, so keep an eye on that. I think that's it, Matt. Sweet. On with the show. Brett, why are you in my kitchen running the juicer at three in the morning? I'm trying to summon a vampire, Matt. Is that a... is that a crate full of bats? What are you juicing? Don't worry about that. Okay, wh- whatever. As long as you clean the juicer. Wait, no. What am I saying? Dude, it is three in the morning and you're trying to summon a vampire to my house? Get the hell out of here! Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to summon a vampire to my house. Why? Why are you doing this? Oh, well, um... Are... are you blushing? Well, well, that's good, I guess. All the blood getting called to the surface ought to only make me look more attractive. Uh, look, it's, it's been a while since I've been on a date, you know? I'm trying to meet somebody. Uh, a vampire? Yeah, a a nice vampiress. See, it's not cool, you know, to ask a girl I just met to my own home, so I needed an outside location with other people around. Like my family, who are not a vampire buffet? And you have a juicer. As usual, your insanity is highly logical. Is that a new cape? Yeah! Does it look nice? It's cut like bat wings. All right, you still need to leave. Can't I just hang around a little while, buddy old pal? Brett, get down from the ceiling. You're not hanging upside down, 
in my kitchen. Well, I have to stick around now. Otherwise, who's going to be waiting up to meet her when she comes? I'm committed. Oh boy, I'm nervous. Will you be my wingman? Brett, put your cape wings away and get down from the ceiling. If this chick's really a vampire, doesn't someone have to, like, invite her in the door or something like that? Psh, that's just superstition, Matt. She can let herself in, just like I did. Wonderful. Except I had to jimmy the lock with your credit card. My credit card? Yeah, I borrowed it last week. Importing vampire bats from Eastern Europe isn't cheap. <sighs> you asshole. You owe me. And why do you want to date a vampire chick so bad? It's not like she's going to like you for you. She's going to be like a gold digger, but instead of your money, she's going to be after your plasma. So? Can't blame her. I don't really like me for me either. I do have premium blood, though. You do eat healthy. What? What am I saying? You are the saddest delusional narcissist I've ever met. Thank you. Hey, before you leave, I forgot. Can you light that pumpkin spice scented candle over there and set the mood? Before I leave? Dude, it's my house. No, you're leaving. Get out of here. So you haven't heard from your sister in nearly a year? Jim asked as he shuffled some of the mail he had in his hands. Yeah, yes, that's, that's right, a red-eyed Coral Sturgis said. Is that unusual? No, it isn't. We're, we're twins, but I, I couldn't support her in her lifestyle anymore. She had to choose me or her lifestyle. Did you tell your sister this? What? Well, well, no, I didn't. You don't have to tell your twin those kind of things. Just like I knew something was terribly wrong. I felt it yesterday, and that's why I called you to go look and, and see if you could find her. Hmm, right, I've, I've read about that before. But as you know, I'm a detective, so that's above my pay grade, he said as he stroked his mustache. Well, I, I appreciate you coming down here. Uh, where will you be staying? We're at the Express on Clarendon, Cora said. Jim nodded. When, when can I see my sister's apartment? Well, let's just wait until tomorrow. We need to decide whether or not it's actually a crime scene. Shouldn't that be obvious? Cora asked. Well, normally I would say yes, but to be frank, the state of your sister's apartment is is strange. We, we don't know how to identify what was going on over there, but we also can't do too much until we know she's actually missing. Maybe you could go with us there tomorrow? Sure, Cora said. She knew something terrible had happened. She felt it as strongly as she felt herself standing on the ground speaking to a middle-aged detective. Okay, well, I'd, I'd better get going, Jim said. He turned to leave, placing his hat back on his graying hair. Oh, uh, wait, he said, pausing. I'm so forgetful sometimes. Here are these letters. They've been returned, but they look like they were meant for you. Maybe you can read them for us, and they'll give you some insight into your sister's disappearance. Cora took the letters and said goodbye to Jim. Her whole body felt cold. She hadn't even bothered to tell her sister she had moved, and though it was just a short distance from her old house, 
she was across the state line in a different state. Dear sister, do you remember what it was like in the morning after a one-night stand? I bet you don't, sister, with you having been married for so long. I nearly forgot myself having been numbed by the constraints of marriage. Well, sister, in all of my fantasies, I could never have conjured the images of an encounter so fantastic and yet so confusing as this. Call it surreal. That would be inadequate, though. This morning I woke up, and I would have thought the last night were a dream, but there is evidence in my room. Remember that flight I told you I was taking to New Orleans for work? Well, I did take that trip down to Nolens, and that's how the, the locals say it, to meet with a company client. And while I was there, I decided to go out and, well, win in Rome. Sister, I know that you don't approve now from the perspective of your idealized life, but you weren't always such a prude. Besides, you know how my last year has been with Barry leaving me and all? And you choose to remind me every time you call to check on me, as though I were a child in need of constant care and attention. Sister, I don't plan on just sitting around and waiting while Barry fucks some twenty-year-old slut with large come-on-me tits in a bed that I bought. I will not make myself endure that. No, not with the newfound freedom I have to live out the fantasies I dwelt upon so often as Barry groped his way around my loins as though he were searching for the last chip at the bottom of the bag. You see, I've been better in my judgments towards men lately, sister. I have not been with one who I ever feel like I have the slightest possibility of seeing again. That is why if my new boss, Mr. Malkowitz, even mentions travel, I damn near jump into his pants. Maybe I even did, once or twice. He's a married man, sister. And now he is wrapped around my finger. All I have to do is show one of the emails that he has sent to me, and I can bring his whole world crashing down around him. I'm a divorcee, and I, I should be allowed a little promiscuity. I can't stand sitting around the office looking at all these puffy-cheeked white people decaying in corporate boredom. You should see their faces when I get ready to go on a trip. The loathing creeping out of the sideways glances as they mill about their piles of paperwork. The rumors are already going around that I am blowing Mr. Malkowitz. In the break room, I heard a couple of men from accounting saying that they only send me out of town because our clients are predominantly men. And, yes, how did he say it? Oh, oh. Yes, I have great tits and a million-dollar ass, in reference to my high-closing percentages. He apparently wouldn't have minded getting some himself, but being a married man and all, he was obliged not to. Oh, sister, I could have made such a scene, not to mention had him fired, but all I did was pretend to not hear.
and go into the break room instead. I bent over lowly and slowly to get my coffee cup, making sure to make a show of that million-dollar ass. When I went in that room, sister, their jaws could have fallen off. They disgust me. They are all college-educated business people. They are all so pathetic with their round faces and flabby white skin. They hate me because I look good, and I am free to do what I want. Remember how after David and I broke up in college, I had those wild weekends. I know you remember because you lectured me about them daily. You had already settled down. But don't think I don't remember you as a freshman because I do. I wonder what you would have said if I'd have told you about our lit professor's tendencies, how he liked to slap and scratch in bed while he quoted Ginsburg. Well, sister, the poem he wrote about me afterwards and read to the class was far better than the real thing. But at least I had had that, an older man who wrote poetry about me. You've never had those experiences because by that time you were already the perfect sister. I was, despite being your twin, your goddamn clone, the slutty sister, who was the next best thing. And so to escape our social group, I went for older men. And that is how I met Barry. To avoid living in your shadow, I ended up stuck with that slovenly prick. Eventually, meeting Barry is what led me to the motel in Nolens, and led me to see whatever that horrible thing was in the motel bathroom this morning. I suppose that I've been handling my breakup with Barry the same way I did my breakup with David in college. These trips I've been on, you see, are not for business as much as they are for personal pleasure. I have no desire to casually date because that is an unrealistic concept. Someone always gets hurt in casual dating. And I don't like being in either circumstance. So these trips give me the opportunity to go out and explore with absolutely no attachments. I'm simply scratching an itch, sister. When I got to Nolens, you wouldn't believe the slummy hotel they put me in. When I got back from my flight home, and I'm writing this in the airport, you see, I'm going to give that little mousy clerical bitch, Tana, a piece of my mind. She has a thing for Mr. Malkowitz, and she suspects things about he and I. She may even be the one spreading the rumors around the office. She is always smiling at him and twirling her hair, saying, Yes, Mr. M. this, and of course, Mr. M. that, while she gazes at him. Her tits are nearly spilling out of her shirt. She is practically begging, and that is a sad, disgusting thing to watch, sister. My flight arrived yesterday at 3 p.m., and my meeting wasn't until 7 this morning. I'm staying in a Motel 6. Can you believe that? I've never been sent to anything with less appeal than a Ramada. It didn't take me long to get out of the room that night, sister. I was afraid that I may see cockroaches. I'd brought a single-shoulder dress that ends just above the mid-thigh so that I could show off those volleyball player legs we inherited from our mother. 
I tell you, sister, nothing keeps you looking younger than a great pair of legs. I put on matching lipstick and heels and caught a cab downtown. The cabbie was a black guy with long dreadlocks and a thick Nolan's drawl who said, Looking very good tonight, miss. And though I had told him where to take me, I could see that he had already started heading towards the French Quarter. Maybe it was too obvious that I was from out of town. When he dropped me off, he said, It's either the angel or the devil looking after me tonight, because seeing a pretty lady like you in a dress like that makes having to work either a blessing or a torture. He smiled a wide, gold-plated smile. With a few more teeth, he would have actually been a very attractive man. But I was aiming a little higher than a cabbie tonight. I had plans to go home with a, a tin or go home empty-handed. I would have never thought that I'd do twice as well as I hoped for. My first impression of Bourbon Street was simply that it reeked of human piss which turned out to be exactly what I was smelling. As I walked past the side street, there were four college-aged men pissing together into the gutter. One threw up a hand in an over-the-shoulder wave and whistled. As he did, his stream turned, and he pissed on the leg of the man next to him, who didn't even notice. There was a little daylight left as the sun was just setting, but the street had already become overwhelmed with neon lights. Barely legal strip clubs and exotic lingerie stores with large nippled mannequins of silicone proportions filled the gaps between erotic and bayou-themed bars. The street was a continuous river of men and women in loud, vibrant clothing. Jazz filled the air, and street performers entertained to the rhythm of the music. I was sober then, sister. But watching all of the colors and hearing the sounds felt like that one time I used acid back in college. If I was ever going to find out what it was I was looking for last night, it was sure to be in the beating heart of the city of New Orleans. I found it at a bar called The Din. I nearly walked right past The Din at first. From the outside, it didn't stand out in any way. It was just another neon light glowing against the darkening sky. I was stopped by a smell of tobacco laced with marijuana. And that smell brought me back to our sophomore year in high school when Paul Morton used to get us high behind the bleachers during gym class. Do you remember how he'd roll the weed into a cigar so that if we were caught, he would just say, it's only a cigar? Well, it was that very smell that made me stop in front of the den. Out in front of it, two men were standing side by side smoking. One was wearing a white suit from the Jazz Age, with a black rose on the lapel. The other was wearing a black suit with a white rose on the lapel. Both men were wearing fedoras tipped down low over their eyes. They both flicked their cigarettes into the street and then entered the bar as though their movements were synchronized. In the entryway to the den, I found myself looking at two glass cases. In the one on the right, there was a sort of dragon-looking creature. It was nothing but a cheap trick of taxidermy, 
where parts of multiple animals had been sewn together, the head and the tail of a gator and the wings of some sort of giant bat creature, surely. I could hardly stand to look at it. In the next case, there was a single mount of a giant python. It was a horrible beast with yellow, soul-piercing eyes. It was twisted around a piece of decaying log. I was mesmerized for a moment while looking at it, but eventually I found my way back to the bar. I sat and looked for the special drinks on the menu. I wanted something unique. The two drinks were called the Dragon's Kiss and the Snake Bite. They were the only two drinks on the menu that didn't have a list of ingredients. The women behind the bar were both tall, busty women with red lipstick and long, dark hair. They looked like sisters, not identical sisters like you and I, but sisters nonetheless. The first drink I ordered was the snake bite, and I found it to be an indulgence beyond compare, or so I thought until I tried the dragon's kiss, which had the rush of warmth that seemed to start at the tips of my toes and then flooded through every inch of my veins. I didn't feel like I was getting drunk, I felt like I was more alive. Before I had a chance to order a third drink, a second of one of the two specials I surely would have struggled to decide upon, the bartender brought one more of each to me. Compliments of the bosses, she said, in a way that reminded me a little bit of jealous come-on-my-tits Tana from the office. Of course, when she motioned to the two men at the corner table, the same two men I saw outside, I realized she had reasons to be jealous. They were completely identical, except for the color of their eyes. One was a striking shade of blue that was almost a purple, and the other had eyes so lightly green that they may have passed for yellow. And my God, were they handsome, tanned with strong cheekbones and long features. They were like young faces of kings, but even more beautiful. I drank one of the two drinks down before I approached them. As I came closer, they both lifted their hats slightly so that I could more easily see their faces. I found myself intoxicated by this point, sister. Not intoxicated in the way that I was sloppy or vulgar, but in a carefree manner in which euphoria had replaced any anxieties I may have felt. To whom do I owe the drinks? I asked. Both of us, they replied in near unison. It reminded me so much of the two of us as children, sister, back when you and I were inseparable and could speak nearly in our own language. Don't you miss that connection, sister? That level of intimacy that only can be felt through identical genetics? I do. When I saw that intimate knowledge and a relationship stronger in these two than even you and I had, I knew that I had to have them. Both of them. I would leave out the details, sister, but that is what this letter is about. I'm trying to remember the details. I don't know what was in those two drinks, but I don't remember much of the night other than walking with them from the bar to a basement condo in the dark corner of the French-style building 
with twisted cast-iron fencing. The inside of their apartment was dark, and there was a pervasive smell of a strange smoke that was like the incense of burning herbs. But it was musty and nearly dank as well. I don't know how a scent that I describe with such words could be attractive and alluring, sister, but it was. They led me down dark hallways and into a room with a giant round bed that was little more than a huge circular mattress on the floor. It was made from the softest and most luxurious fabrics I had ever felt. There they undressed me and had me at once. It was in this manner that I found out how different these two men could be. One was strong and passionate, while the other was sensitive and caressing. Yet, for their differences, they were perfect compliments. And I felt as though they had done this before because they handled me with such coordinated fashion that it all felt nearly rehearsed. It was perfection, nearly if not for the skin condition that they each seemed to be suffering from. Both men had a patch of skin so dry and rough that it reminded me of that disgusting lizard our cousin kept as kids. I would avoid this if I could, but this carnal intoxication went on for hours in that large nest of a bed. I don't remember how it ended. I only remember that one of the two men seemed obsessed with biting me. I can assure you that I have the bruises to prove it, though he never broke the skin. I don't remember how I made it back to my motel, but despite the lack of memories, I was not hung over at all. I felt fine. I felt nearly divine, sister. I wasn't running late because of any sort of effect from the night before. No! It was the light pink stains that looked like handprints on my sheets, with something that looked like an arm-length glove lying next to it. I can only say that it looked like the glove of discarded human skin. I didn't bother to study it. I only wrapped the sheets around it and threw the whole mess in the trash can as I left. I cannot begin to tell you the sheer horror of it all, sister and nothing about the night before seems to confirm anything about what it was. Love, Sister Dear Sister, I haven't heard back from you yet, Sister. Why haven't you written me back? It is probably my fault for having lost my phone, but promise me, that you'll take the time to write me. We've been writing each other ever since we were children, and I can't bear the thought of you ignoring me. I think I need to come see you. I've never felt alone in my whole life until now. I didn't think people like you and I could feel alone, but nothing seems to be right anymore. I'm here in this new, empty house while Barry still poking that little whore in my bed. It makes me sick, sister. We've been cutting back on expenses at work, and with several of the accounts that require travel being closed, I've been stuck in my office most days. 
Mr. Malkowitz has suddenly grown a moral center of some kind. My advances don't gain anything. I'm beginning to think that little Miss Tits has found her way into his pants. Oh, well. It was a little disgusting act that I had to go through for a few trips out of town. Nothing more. Of course, maybe it isn't the fact that he has a new toy to diddle that is keeping him away as much as it is the fact that I am noticeably pregnant. I think he believes that it is his. And I will have to let him continue thinking this. The timelines don't quite add up, though. According to the doctor, I seem to have gotten pregnant somewhere in between my last encounter with Mr. M and my encounter with the two twins in New Orleans. Immaculate conception, I say. Of course, that last part is a joke, sister. I'm horrified, truly. The worst part is, every time that I go to the doctor's office, they seem to have malfunctioning equipment. I go in and remove my clothes, they squirt a little bit of that ice-cold blue jelly on my stomach, and then probe around with the device. All that shows up on the ultrasound is a giant blank space. Maybe I'll look for a new doctor. It's odd how I feel about my pregnancy, sister. I was just sitting in my office today when a sparrow landed on a branch just outside of my window. It hopped back and forth in a twitchy, robotic sort of way, pecking at God knows what on the branch below it. I sat as still as I could watching it hop and peck, and it was incredible. It didn't seem to notice that I was there. I watched it as its chest slowly rose and fell, and I could have snatched it off its branch and squeezed the breath right out of it, sister. It's strange how I could end the life of a small creature like that, despite the fact that I can see it and appreciate its beauty. The thought of having an abortion, despite not having a clue who the father is, makes me immediately sick, sister. Perhaps there is more than one, sister. Perhaps the twins have given me a set of twins. Wouldn't that be amazing, sister? The doctor thought I was four months along, sister. That isn't possible. I am either two months or six months. There was no man at four months. I took time to collect myself. Desires are, after all, better when not overindulged. I must be pregnant with more than one child, I think. Write me back, sister. I miss you, sister. Love, sister. Sister, do you remember the cravings we had for the oatmeal ice cream from Zoe's Snack Shack when we were kids? Do you remember begging Mom and Dad for $3 so we could each get a double scoop waffle cone? It is all we would talk about for days until Mom would finally take us to the parlor and that blonde, pimple-faced high school girl would mash an extra scoop in for us. That was heaven, sister, but those cravings were nothing like the cravings that come with pregnancy. I don't think that we really knew what cravings were then, sister. You should see me. 
I'm officially a cow. The doctors have ordered new equipment from the hospital. But my doctor was able to go in manually, and I personally think the good old vagina doc was just a little too excited about it. He couldn't make anything out of it, though, and he said that I'd need to wait for the new equipment, but I couldn't help but feel as though he had lingered for a little while, as though he was looking for something unusual. I'll be surprised if it isn't triplets. Maybe I'll even get my own show on television, something called Single Mother of Seven. I could quit my job after one season. It would sure as hell beat going to work and having everyone in the office stare at me like I was a creature from another planet. I can feel the judgment pouring out of them. I swear I even heard little Miss Perky Tits from Texas laughing at me as I walked by. I imagined myself picking up the stapler from her desk and stapling her face to the side of her desk with it, while she screamed and blubbered, bleeding everywhere. The thought of it turned me on a little. Oh, pregnancy is so weird, isn't it, sister? Everybody is laughing except for good old Mr. M. His little sack is visibly shrinking when I walk past. I've been vague with him about my pregnancy, but I can see him squirming. And I talked to him about maternity leave, and he was ready to send me on a six-month paid vacation. I may take him up on that, sister. Pregnancy makes you crazy, I think. I have craved the strangest things lately. Do you remember how when we were kids and we'd go down to the Erickson's ranch and we'd have duck for dinner? We hated it so much, sister, but now that is nearly all I can think about. It's the texture that I crave, the thick, fibrous, and juicy layers, and the way that it slides down your throat in large, greasy chunks. Oh, my God, sister, I could die for such a craving. I was relieved of it last night. There's a Chinese restaurant downtown that serves duck. I went there by myself and nearly ate the entire fowl. I don't know if it was properly cooked to temperature, but the juicy and fleshy parts of it were by far the best. The servers gave me some strange looks, sister, but strange looks just seem like they are part of being pregnant. Love, sister. Sister. Someday, sister, when you find yourself pregnant, I wonder if you will become territorial in the manner that I have. At work, I make everyone knock before they come into my office, even Mr. M. I went as far as kicking him out of my office and making him enter again by knocking. What is he going to do? He is terrified of me. As far as he knows, I could sue him for child support any day now. At home, I'm just as bad. I swear if that paper delivery boy rides his bike past the door of my apartment one more time, I'm going to shove the newspaper down his throat and watch him choke on it if he doesn't slow down. Then there is the cat lady upstairs who lets her damn kitties run in and out of her open window at will. I can hear the pitter-patter of their paws going up and down like broken metronomes that wake me up at all hours of the night. They even drag their kills home to lay them on the door of their masters. There are always dead birds and mice lying around. Yesterday it was a snake. 
I couldn't bear to look at its beautiful, shiny green body laying there covered in blood. It made me shudder, sister. So I decided to get rid of the problem, sister. I set a trap. I left my front door cracked open and set out a can of tuna fish. Cats are curious, sister. They have no boundaries, and they are dangerous. It only took about an hour, and one came bobbing its head through the door as though it were cautiously testing the air for bad vibrations. I sat so still, sister, with a broom in hand, and once it was inside, I lunged forward and slammed the door closed. Then it backed away and backed itself up into a ball of hissing and spitting. That is when I whacked it over the head with the broom. It stumbled forward and fell, knocked unconscious, I suppose. Suddenly I had this craving, sister. I watched it as it came back to life slowly, and then, just when it began to frantically thrash about, as though all of its fears had returned to it, I grabbed it by the neck, and I wrung the life from it. It left one long and bloody scratch down my arm, but it was worth it. Have you ever wondered what cat tastes like, sister? It's a peculiar thing to crave, I know. I know I'm freaking you out. But someday, when you're pregnant, you will understand just how odd it can make you. I'm beginning to have strange pains in my belly. I should go back to the doctors, but I'm running out of patience with them. Love, sister. Sister, that sad little man, Mr. Malkowitz, sent me on maternity leave early. Apparently, he was concerned about how my pregnancy was affecting me and my behavior around the office. He didn't tell me that himself, but I know it was what he was trying to say. I wasn't too concerned, though, because I'm still getting paid now, and I can get my apartment ready. I've noticed more mice around my apartment recently, now that a couple of the little kitties have been taken care of. They are fat little balls of fur with pink tails like tapered sausages. I've been taking care of them. They nearly pop when you squeeze them. My stomach pains have grown more frequent. Last night, in the middle of the night, I swear I felt my belly drop. But sister, I cannot be more than three months pregnant. Though I feel that I know it is going to happen soon. Can a mother truly know? Such a thing? Love, sister. Sister, if I've ever needed you, it's right now and now more than ever. I'm no longer pregnant, sister, but I don't even want to say what it is that I've given birth to. In the past 15 hours, I've experienced a lifetime of horror, and it is most certainly not over. Last night, I was following a mouse across the apartment. My God, why would I even do such a thing? Why would I want to kill poor little creatures like that? Killing them was the least of my depravities to which I had sank, though. But I can't bear to tell you any more than that. The pains came on right when I was reaching for the mouse, and they were more intense than ever. I decided to draw myself a bath, knowing that I wouldn't have the energy to get to the hospital without first getting the pain to subside. It felt like I was having intense cramps, as though I were going into labor, 
But how could that be? I hadn't even been pregnant for a full trimester. I ran a bath and slid myself into it. The water was warm and soothing, and it felt better. I felt more relaxed the further I spread my legs. So I lay in the tub with one leg up and over the edge, letting the warm water fill in around me. That is when the pains came rushing back. It was an intense, burning sensation that made me feel as though I were being torn apart from the inside out. Every muscle in my body was working against my control, and all I could do to calm them was push as hard as I could. It was over quick. It simply slid out. I can't bear to tell you, sister, not yet, not until I understand. I would just get rid of it and return to a normal life, but as much as I hate it, I feel that I can't leave it. I feel like I have to keep it safe and warm. I have found myself running warm water over it and turning it over in its green, scaly shell. I take back everything I've said about the lifestyle you live, sister. I should have tried to be more like you. I don't know why I am not. We are identical twins, after all. Pray for me, sister. And if those prayers don't work, then at least try and forgive me. Love, sister. It has been six days since I last left the house. Now that I've had it, I know that I can't be apart from it. I am simply here to protect it. It moved yesterday for the first time. I had my hand against it, and I could feel it in there. Earlier today, I could see it pushing and trying to find a weak point so that it could break out. I think that I may hold my child soon. Love, sister. Coral didn't know what to make of her sister's letters. She felt the world tipping slightly and her hands were suddenly very cold. She went to the bed almost immediately and she had the strangest dreams. In them, her sister was carrying a bundle through the woods. She entered a hut with a thatched roof made from leaved branches. Littering the forest floor around the hut were small bones and a yellowish-white material that looked like thin rubber. The next morning, Cora met with Jim at her sister's apartment. Before they entered, he asked her what she had learned from the letters. I learned that my sister has not been well. She, she claims that she was pregnant and that she gave birth, but I don't, I don't know. Right, well, I requested that you come here, and that's because you are her twin, and twins, well, they say they know each other in a way that others possibly can't. Did your, uh, did your sister ever have any pets? Coral shook her head. Well, the, uh, the apartment was full of, uh, critters. Coral's face twisted into a confused sort of grimace. Cats and mice and all sorts of small birds. They were all over the place. The kitchen was littered with small animals, but they'd all been, been strangled or bitten. But that's not what is really bothering me. You see, uh, you see, Coral, I have never seen or heard anything like this, so I won't explain it to you. I'll just show you. 
Jim led her through the house. The miasma of the rotting carcasses nearly made her vomit. It looked like the aftermath of a piñata full of bones, feather, and fur. She followed the detective straight back down the hallway that led past a messy kitchen and a small office to where the bedrooms and bathrooms were. He opened the door and she shrieked. She had never seen anything like it. In the middle of the bathtub sat the broken remains of a green eggshell. There was a pink membranous material and slimy connective tissues creating a webwork of organic slime in the bottom of the tub and all around it. In that same pink, tinged with blood color, there were tiny handprints like those of a small child. Maybe I shouldn't have kicked Brett out. Now I'm stuck here in the kitchen at three in the morning, hugging a shotgun and a steak and a clove of garlic all by myself. And this juice is kind of good, though. Hmm, tangy. Ah! What's that? Who's there? I smell blood. Ah, fuck me! Ah, you're the vampire? You're built like a musk ox crossed with an oil tanker. Yes. And I might. Oh, God. Your, your date? Your date just left. But you have pretty eyes. Crossing myself. Crossing myself. Knock, knock. Who, uh... Who, who's there? Vlad. Vlad who? The Impaler. Oh! Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was Maternity Leave by Matt Cummins. Matt, what is that? Is that a hickey on your neck? Good day, Monsterbaiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, mm, try a sip of this juice. And second, be sure to review Monster Porn on Apple Podcasts. 
It only takes a minute, and it helps other prospective masturbators discover us. Thanks for the awesome reviews. If you love this show, that is a great way to support our efforts. Another way is through our merch store at teespring.com stores monsterporn, where we will have new designs coming out through the end of this month. Also follow us on social media to stay on top of episode releases, to follow the Normal Learns Earth webcomic series, and hey, just to keep in touch, we like to hear from people. And if you're not people, we like to hear from things too. That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay weird. And until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange cowboy. Even mentions travel. I damn near jump into his pants. Okay, I gotta stop. <laughs> Eventually, meeting Barry is what led to me to... Okay. <laughs> Before I had a chance to order a third drink, a second one of the two specials, I had surely... Shit, what was I saying? <laughs> uh, you're just telling me a story about how you got fucked by the devil? <laughs> Something, yeah. You know, it was... Saturday night, typical Saturday. Of course, when she motioned to the two men... <laughs> did you hear my nose? I did. <laughs> it was like a weird, like... A booger? <laughs> something, I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> there, they undressed me and had me at once. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was there that they undressed me and they had me at once. In that same way. Okay. It was there that they undressed me. Wait, I've been speaking so high I cannot do the governator. Let's go again. But sister, it cannot be more than shit. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just a giant turd. It cannot be more than shit. Shit, what? No, I don't even want to say that I've given birth. Okay, I heard somebody talking in the hallway and something I got super insecure about reading it in this voice. Okay. Would be really creepy is if we heard this voice come back to us from the hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd climb out the window to leave. I don't think I'd go out there. Why would I want to kill a poor little creature? <laughs> <laughs> it was like my voice just ran out of steam. It was weird. Well, you were talking about quilling it. Quilling it. But I can. Shit. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>